Two weeks ago today, we were uh, in our study and we were looking at God's glory. And we noticed that God's glory is going public. We said that God's glory is going public of his infinite worth. And that we are to display that infinite worth. We have that possibility, that privilege of doing that every single day. And not just every single day, but throughout the day. And our verse that we looked at was Matthew chapter 5 and verse 16, where we are reminded to let our light shine before the Lord, or before the world rather, so that they might see his good works in us. The glory of God, we saw, is the manifest beauty of his holiness. Everything and everyone exists to reveal his glory. So I'm asking myself as well as you today, how did you do with that this past week? There was a couple days I didn't do too good, to be honest with you. That's easy to do. Today we want to look at Isaiah 6, if you'll turn there. And we're looking at fresh encounters equal change. Remember with me the greatest sight that you've ever seen. You got it? It doesn't take long for us to remember that. Maybe it was a time where you you were so overwhelmed you were speechless. You stood there perhaps in awe. That's where we are in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah experienced such a thing. And we find him face down on the temple floor, crying out for mercy. He had just seen the unseen. He saw more than the creation. He saw the creator. Now remember, Isaiah was ancient Israel's version of the Senate chaplain. His family aristocratic. He was polished. He was successful. He was professional. But the day that he saw God's glory, only one response seemed appropriate and he said woe is me for i am ruined let's look at it beginning in verse one of chapter six in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting upon a throne high and lifted up and the train of his robe filled the temple above him stood six seraphims or stood seraphims each of those had six wings And with two they covered his face, with two did cover his feet, and with two they did fly. And one called to the other and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the foundations of the threshold shook at the voice of him who called, and the house was shaken with smoke. And I said, Woe is me, for I am undone or I am lost, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Verse 6, Then one of the seraphims flew to me, having in his hand a burning coal that he had taken with tongs from the altar. He touched my mouth and said, Behold, this has touched your lips. Your guilt is taken away from you, and your sins atoned for And look at verse 8 now with me. And I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send and whom will go for? You'd think that was me, but it's us showing forth what? 
the Trinity. There you go. Notice his response. Then I said, here am I. Send me. What caused such a confession? Woe is me. The word is used to express grief, regret, and distrust sometimes. You see, what caused this was that he saw the very presence of God. That's what stirred him so. And that's why he said, holy, holy, holy. Please understand that three times in Hebrew is saying this is very important. He didn't say holy. He didn't say holy, holy. He didn't say holy, but he did say holy, holy, holy. It's like you and I using a highlighter as a tool of emphasis. Holy, holy, holy. He doesn't describe God as wise, 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 or strong, 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 or any other adjective, only holy. God's holiness commands attention. This adjective qualifies his name more than any other combined. You remember at the Red Sea crossing, Moses and the Israelites sang in Exodus chapter 15 and verse 11, whom among the gods is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders, In Revelations chapter 15 and verse 4, those that are victorious over the beasts sang, who will not fear you, O Lord, and bring glory to your name, for you alone are holy. What do you do with this verse? 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse 16, God tells you and I to be holy. It's not a suggestion. It's a command. What do we do with that verse? We rationalize it away. God knows that I still have sin nature after I'm saved, that my sin nature was eradicated. It's not done away with. He knows that I'll still mess up. He doesn't really expect me to be holy. And so we don't strive, at least with all of our effort, to be all that God wants us to be. The Hebrew for holy means cut off or separate. In 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 9, it says, You are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, God's special possession, that you might declare, notice now, that you might declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Everything about God is different from the world that he made. What you are to a paper airplane, God is to you. Think of that. That paper airplane exists because you made it. It will only fly when you throw it. Multiply that contrast between you and that paper airplane by infinity, and you might begin to catch the glimpse of of the disparity between us and God. 1 Peter 1, 6, be holy. Let's break that down a little bit. There's three things if you're taking notes this morning. It says to be sober-minded. That's one of the meanings. Be sober-minded in opinion as well as practice. Sober-minded in opinion as well as practice. It continues, and the idea is to be humble in your judgment one of another. Boy, can't we be critical sometimes? I don't know about you, but I don't have to work at that. It just comes natural. 
He says, be humble in your judgment of one another. And then thirdly, be strong in your trust in the grace of God. So be sober-minded, be humble, and be strong. Holiness is the desire and duty of every Christian. It's not just for a few people that are called into quote-unquote full-time Christian service. It's the duty and privilege of every Christian to watch and pray against the sins to which we are inclined. Now, you're inclined some, to some particular sins in your life. Hopefully, you know what those are. Every one of us are. And they're different one from another. But they all stem from lust of the flesh, lust of the pride, pride, and what is it? Lust of the flesh, lust of the... Thank you, and the pride of life. I want to get away from my notes, and I'm no good at all. You've heard that before. All of us have those ink, inklings towards a particular sin. What are we going to do with that? When he says, be holy in every avenue of life. Holiness is the desire, again, of, and duty of every Christian. The word of God is the surest rule of the Christian life. And this rule, we, can com- we are commanded to be holy. Now watch this. In every way. We profess Christ. God says simply, act like it. One thing is for sure, and if you don't take anything this morning except this, I hope you'll take this one. It, there we go. We imitate the God we worship. We form our character according, and we will practice what he approves when we worship him. Since the God who we worship is holy and we worship him, should we not then be holy? You see, the worship of God is to mold our very character and we become like him. How is my life different from the non-believer? That's the question that we should be asking ourselves periodically. If they see no difference in us, why should they want what we have to offer? So again, it's not just saying, yes, I am saved because I did whatever back so many years ago if there has been no change. If there is no desire for spiritual things, then I'm only fooling myself compared to what the Word of God says. So you say you belong to Jesus? What's the difference in your life that a non-believer can look at and see? Psalms chapter 89 and verse 6, who in, who in the skies are compared to the Lord? Who among the sons of the mighty is like the Lord? Isaiah forty eighteen: to whom the will To whom then will you liken God, or what likens you and compared to him? Isaiah 40, 25, God asked, to whom will you compare me? Who is my equal? No one and nothing compare with him. Who are we to make it all about us?
Psalms chapter 75 and verse 7. It is he who executes judgment, putting down one and lifting up another. You see, we have power, but God's different. He is power. Daniel 20, 22, wisdom and power are his. He took nothing and created. He didn't need materials. Prior to creation, the universe was not a dark place. The universe did not exist. He even created the darkness. Isaiah chapter 45, 7 tells us so. I'm the one who creates the light and, the, and makes the darkness. In him is infinite knowledge, rules, and infinite strength. Job chapter 9 and verse 4. He is wise in heart and mighty in strength. Job 12, 13. In him is wisdom and strength. Job 36, 5, he is mighty and strong in wisdom. Over into the New Testament, Romans eleven thirty three. 33, oh, the depths and the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. He knows the past. He knows the future. He knows the present. Nothing is concealed from him. He is all-powerful. He is all-knowing and all-present. Jeremiah chapter 23, 23 and 24, God reminds us, I am everywhere, both far and near, in heaven and in earth, and those who seek him most clearly regard him most highly. When Isaiah saw the holiness of God, he doesn't boast, he doesn't swagger, he falls on his face and he begs for mercy. The God-given vision was not about Isaiah. It was about God and his glory. Isaiah gets the point. It's not about me. It's all about him. God's holiness silenced human boasting. Think of that. As we have dismissed God from, our, from every avenue of life today, have you noticed that boasting has surfaced its way on up pretty high there? You see a lot of boasting. Today's the Super Bowl. You didn't know that, right? Who in America doesn't know that? You've been living in a cave or, you know, anyhow, it's the Super Bowl. And, you know, you see some, you watch some of the clips or maybe you saw it happen during a game. Some of these uh, catches and so forth this year are unbelievable. <laughs> but I don't know about you, but you pay these guys the big bucks. And then they do one of those, make one of those fantastic catches. That's great. And then they go into all this gyration and, and you know, things that they do in, in the, uh, uh, thank you. Yeah. I just have a hard time with that. All right, I got that out of my system. We can move on now. <laughs> Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 and 7. What happened next? Look at it again. Isaiah makes no request. He asks for no grace. Yet God, who is quick and pardons fully and full of mercy, purges Isaiah from his sin. And watch this now. I love this. He redirects his life. Here's my question this morning. Has he done that for you? Perhaps you're here today physically alive, which is apparent but spiritually dead, never been enlightened, enlivened rather, only enlightened. You can leave here today different than what you've come. For the Bible says that God is not willing that any should perish, 
And then over in 1 John chapter 5, he says, his will is for every single person alive to know absolutely for sure in this lifetime that they're going to heaven. Listen, Jesus is the only one that gives purpose. Amen? Now, we can try a lot of different things in this life, but only he is the one that is able to give purpose and real meaning for living. Has he done the same for you? Next, God solicitates a spokesman. Look at it. Um, verse 6, no, verse 8 of chapter 8. Whom shall I send? And all of a sudden, he looks over and his hand's up and he's volunteering. I'll go. I've got to share this with you. In 1971, I was right here on this platform. Some of you have heard this story, sorry. Um, with, a, with a group of singers from Liberty University. We would travel all summer long and we would be in different churches. We started out the East Coast and we'd work our way out to California and then spend about two weeks here in churches. And one night we were here. I always loved traveling like that. You get to meet people from all over the place. And what the really neat thing was, they worked real hard and providing a big spread for us to eat. It was always before the concert, though, so it was kind of hard to sing afterwards. Yeah, probably because we ate too much, but it, we had a great time. Then we'd stay in homes of people we'd get to know. And, uh, but one of the things that you don't know is that before the concert, we would find an empty room, and we'd all go back in there and pray for the concert, that God would really work in the service. And the uh, conductor would ask uh, who would like to share their testimony. And for two years that I was in it, everybody would always volunteer because they were eager to share their testimony. I wanted to share my testimony, but one thing you don't understand is I was an introvert. You say, yeah, right, come on. <laughs> All I can say about that is God's not just in the soul-saving business. He's in the personality-changing business as well. And for two years, I, it was getting towards the end of the second year, and I was getting out. And I wanted to share my testimony. And I was kind of like Isaiah, who, will, who, will, who, will, who wants to share their testimony? And I looked over, and my hand was up. And so we were getting towards the end of the, the uh, concert that night, and a couple of them had shared. It came time for me to share. And so I, and the verse that I want to share was, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door and dock. And that's exactly the way I said it. And I had learned in speech class, if you mess up, you just kind of back up and you start over again and, and you just go on. So I said, Jesus said, Behold, I stand at the door, nor and dock. I did it a second time. I don't remember anything that happened after that. I don't know if I fainted. I don't know if I blacked out. I can remember looking for just a little wee crack in the floor that if it was one there, I would have slithered through it. I'm so glad God will use anybody, aren't you? Isaiah said, here am I, send me. Is your Christian life boring this morning? It can be exciting. But it begins after you not only are saved, but as you give your all to Christ. When he hears you say, God, I'm not much. But I want to take the gifts and abilities, they, though they be few, and I want to use them in your service. And when God hears his kids talk 
say to him, I want to be used, look out. Look out. Because he uses anyone that is available to him. Isaiah became a bil- uh, 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 available. One more. Can you stand one more of my stories? I've shared this one with you before, so if you're here every Sunday, you've probably heard this one. My buddy and I went, from, went 45 miles away from Lynchburg to pick up people on a bus to bring them back to Thomas Road Baptist Church. One of the things I remember in the wintertime, it was cold because there was a big hole in the floor and all the cold air would come up through the bottom of that bus. But uh, we had an agreement that whoever knocked on the door would do the speaking so that we, when, we, when we, somebody came to the door, we wouldn't stand there looking at each other and saying, well, okay, you're going to talk, am I going to talk? I wouldn't do it. I was just along for the ride. I was moral support. I would pray. I just didn't want to talk. So finally, Gary talked me into talking one time. And so this kind elderly lady comes to the screen door. There was, I remember this screen door. And um, she, uh, we knocked on the door, and she comes, and I said, Hi, I'm Grant. This is Gary. We're, we have a, a bus that we bring through the neighborhood. We're picking up people to take back to church. If you don't have a church home, we'd like to take, we would like you to go along. Would you like to ride our rust spout? <laughs> and she looked at me, and I looked at Gary, and we started laughing uncontrollably neither one of us could say anything and that lady's just kind of standing there looking through the screen door wondering where did these guys come from what is this all about what is a bus a rust spout and uh but you know what god can use our mess ups aren't you glad of that and that lady rode our rust spout and every week we'd stop by just to say, hey, how you doing? Did, have you had a good week? Can you go tomorrow? And that was one of the reasons why. But we're two college guys, remember? And she'd have cookies and milk and stuff for us as well. Isn't God good? <laughs> Listen, all you have to be for God to use you is available. That's what Isaiah experienced in his life. He saw God. You couldn't shut him up. And when we see God, it produces change in our life. And it's not a one-time thing. I'm not talking about just becoming a Christian and then sitting in church or whatever you're doing and doing nothing for him. When you really meet God, and what about those people again? Just one more time, because I want this to sink in. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this. You have somebody. Maybe it's yourself. You say, I'm a Christian, but you have no desire for spiritual things. The only reason you're in church is because somebody makes you come. You don't get into the Word of God during the week because you don't have a desire to do so. You say, I don't have enough time. Let me say it again. You don't have a desire to do so. It's a priority if you're a child of God. It's just like eating physical food. We don't have a problem with that one, do we? Well, yeah, we do. We eat too much. But for a person to say, I'm a Christian, and habitually continue to sin, they have fooled themselves according to the Scriptures. Now, it doesn't mean we'll never sin, because we still have that old nature. It's not done away with, but it's not a way of life any longer. And our friends change as a result. We go different places 
We do different things. We talk differently because Jesus has made a change in our life. And if that's never taken place in your heart and life today, then the Word of God says you've never really been born again. You say that's judging. I'm just telling you what the Scriptures say. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We're familiar with that verse. If anybody is in Christ, they are a new creation. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are, this is aorist tense now, becoming new because it keeps on going. You see, there was a time that you were without Christ. But if you've trusted him as your savior, there will never be a time when you're without him. Amen? And all during this life, he wants to be with you and part of you and go with you through everything that comes into your life, promising to be what you need. But there is a change. And that change is supposed to take place. It starts here at salvation, and it continues until we get to glory. That's a sanctification growing up process that we are to experience. And you today, again, are as much like Jesus as you've chosen to be. Salvation is not the end. It's the beginning. And the Christian life, Dear sir, kind lady, young person, is what you make it. That's why we grow proportionately different than other people according to the time that we spend with him and in the word. Seeing God produces change. What change has taken place in your life? What evidence is there that you really are a Christian? Oh, again, it doesn't mean that we're sinless. No. Wouldn't it be great if the old nature was completely done away with that salvation? I vote. This doesn't happen. But the difference is it's not habitual any longer. Sin is not habitual any longer. Focusing on Jesus. I mean, that's the series that we're in. Changes who? Me. And that's what he wants to do. But it's just not the salvation experience. He wants to change you every single day. What's God's goal? I know God's goal for your life. Do you? It's the same for every one of us. To to conform us into the image of his dear son. And those of us that cooperate with him the most, that's going to be more evidenced to the people that we come in contact with every single day. And there it is again, four weeks into it. Focus on him. Not on how people treat you, not on the junk that comes into your life and maybe even the tragedy all part of god's plan that we will never understand totally until we get to heaven except he wants to make us strong he wants us to he wants to make us more like jesus than we were yesterday so if i'm not resembling jesus 
more than I was a year ago today, then there's something wrong in my life. If I'm not resembling Jesus more than I did last month, there's something wrong. Because when I'm with Jesus, it produces change. How is he changing you? What are some of the habits that you've had that you just can't seem to get victory over? Maybe it's speech. Maybe it's how you treat someone else. I don't know. You fill in the blank. He's able. But there is this thing in Christian Christianity where we cooperate with him. And that's why I can say to you this morning, every one of us are as much like Jesus today as we've chosen to be. I want to leave you with that thought this morning. I don't know what's going to happen in your life this week. I'm just trusting that today God's been working and the Holy Spirit's been working in, in your life. And I shared with the group as we were praying uh, this morning, getting ready for the service. I think, and I shared with Sheila this morning, I think God's really going to speak to some people's hearts today. I'm trusting him to do so because... In the last 12 hours, <laughs> the devil's really been on my back. And he has a tendency to do that. But remember, when he comes to you and he's trying to defeat you and just mess you up in some way, you can always say to him or remind him, draw nigh unto God, resist the devil, and he will what? Flee. You know, you know what happens? You know what the mental picture that I get, not that the devil really has a tail, okay? But that verse, he tucks tail and runs away. But the first part is the part we forget. We, also, we usually say resist the devil and he'll flee. The first part's imperative. Draw nigh unto God. Resist the devil and he will flee. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for the opportunity of sharing today. It's been my privilege to do so. We thank you for your word. Your promise is that it would not return to you void. And so we stand upon that promise today. Father, we're thankful that you use anybody. And all we have to do is be available. I pray this morning, Father, that if there's those that many years ago professed you, but there's never been a change in their life, that your Holy Spirit has put his finger on some things in their heart, in their life today, in their heart. And Lord, they just need me, according to your word, they just need, me, need to be born again. So right now, with heads bowed and eyes closed, you feel a tugging at your heart's door. Maybe you've grown up in church. I have a friend of mine. He's been in evangelism, in evangelism for 40 years and in a good church when they're home. And his wife, growing up in a Christian church, being the wife of an evangelist, just 
a year and a half ago got saved because the Holy Spirit said, listen, you've been religious, but today I want to impart to you new life. With heads bowed and eyes, could you say, Grant, that's where I'm at today. I invite you to pray this prayer right there where you're at silently. Lord Jesus, thank you for coming and dying on the cross just for me. And though I've been religious all these years, Father, I know deep down this morning your Holy Spirit has convicted me and I know that I need you as my Savior. And I ask you right now to do for me that which you cannot do or I cannot do. Only you can do, and that is forgive me of my sin. Perhaps you're here today and you've never been in church before or whatever the situation, you know you're lost. You pray that same prayer. Jesus came for one reason, and that was to give us salvation, to make us not only physically alive, but spiritually alive as well. So Father, I pray that you would take the words today of this message and that you would use them in each one of our hearts and lives. Help us to remember, Lord, tomorrow and then the next day and throughout all of this week, I'm as much today like Jesus as I've chosen to be. Father, we avail ourselves to you. Use us as you, the time of your coming draws nigh and we'll thank you for that. Amen. Thank you.